Would you mind if I express my gratitude? For you. For the time you've given me. For the person you are. Don't blow smoke up my house. It'll ruin my autopsy. Welcome back for episode four of I Think I Like This Movie, America's Least Necessary Film Criticism Podcast. This week, Death Takes a Holiday in the 1998 Romantic Fantasy Meet Joe Black, starring Brad Pitt, Claire Forlani, Anthony Hopkins, Marsha Gay Harden, and Jeffrey Tambor. So strap yourself in for a tight 178 minutes, bleach those tips, and always remember to look both ways before crossing the street in Manhattan. As always, my co-host on the podcast is Will Vitka. Will you have any peanut butter? I, I just want to mouth sex peanut butter really bad right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, it got a little weird. It definitely uh, does. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm Noah Frank. Uh, Will, uh, this was my movie that I brought to the podcast. It's just the two of us uh, this week before we hopefully welcome in some guests in the uh, upcoming weeks. Uh, looking forward to seeing what movies they bring to the podcast. But uh, this was a film just as we always sort of start off with uh, talking about why we think we liked this movie. Uh, I'll just get in from my own uh, background with it and, and personal history with it, and then we can kind of get weird with <laughs> everything that, that happened in this. Uh, so I, I first saw this not in the theaters, but definitely on like late night TV sometime in maybe a couple years after it came out, like late 90s, early 2000s. I was still in high school. Um, it is a very quiet and very beautifully shot film, uh, despite Brad Pitt's absurd hair. Um, I, I definitely remember being uh, very smitten with Claire Forlani as a like 17 year old. Um, and just like there's lots of mood lighting and lots of, it, it, there's a sort of a, there's a comment in the beginning when, when they're talking about like what the, what the vibe of the party should be um, that Marsha Gay Harden's characters is talking about. Uh, which I now, of course, can't find my quote. Uh, there, there was it was it had something to do with like, like roaring twenties, and, and it very much has that. It like feels like like the Great Gatsby, like, like more than the Great Gatsby felt like like the film felt like it. Like yeah. it has this, <clears throat> this like lost in time kind of uh, kind of feel to to the whole thing. Oh, she said, "I'm looking for a saffron glow, sort of tea dance twenties." Is I think the the, the quote. Um, and the whole movie's kind of bathed in that. Um, but anyway, that's that was my experience with it. And I remember being struck, this was before I went off to school and decided to be a film major, that uh that it was it was a really like interestingly spaced and shot film in that it allowed for a lot of quiet, it allowed for a lot of slow developing scenes and um you know, for better and for worse, it was not a lot like much else that was being made and that I, that I was watching at that time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, let's, uh, <laughs> let's get into it. I know your first exposure to this was when we first watched this. This is yes. again, one of the films that, that we watched uh, a year plus ago. Uh, I don't remember though. Did we watch it because it made its, its uh, mark on social media or were we already looking at it before that? happened? I'm pretty sure we started watching it because of that gif of Brad Pitt infinitely being hit by cars and so i guess we should do a quick breakdown of the movie before we get 
into the other discussions? Yeah. So uh, basically, uh, Death comes down to Earth and decides to take a vacation from his uh, otherworldly duties to inhabit the body of uh, a human, in this case, Brad Pitt, um, who has... We see him in his earthly form for a quick moment, uh, flirting with Claire Forlani, who is the daughter of the man, um, Anthony Hopkins' character, who Death uh, has come to take with him, but is in this sort of uh, indeterminate holiday while he follows uh, Bill Parrish as Anthony Hopkins' character is a media mogul. He follows him around um, and sort of observes his life for the final days of it. Uh, and then proceeds to fall in love with Claire Forlani, and things get a little sticky, and uh, in more ways than one. And, uh, <laughs> and anyway, so the, the, the gist of it is, uh, and, and it was based on loosely on on a play actually called Death Takes a Holiday. So uh, the, the gist of it is is this sort of supernatural. It's a love story. It's also a story about mortality and about. Uh, responsibilities and you know all, all that good stuff so um yeah and death death strikes a deal with bill parish bill uh, anthony hopkins character is about to die he's been having chest pains and all this stuff and the deal is that as long as anthony hopkins will be death's guide on earth or on this plane hopkins will stay alive for a little bit longer right and right and he's he is he knows his days are numbered um and i don't know what the exact amount of time was it felt like maybe about a week uh maybe two uh tops between when death shows up and sort of the the movie wraps uh and and bill Parrish eventually does die uh but it's it's not it's not a terribly long time um so yeah the there there's a lot to get into uh in terms of sort of uh, things that that were a little weird. Uh, I mentioned Brad Pitt's character is this like, new to New York lawyer. Uh, his actual like human form um, who has this meet cute with Claire Forlani in a coffee shop, and it's like supposed to be kind of charmingly awkward, but it it is a little stilted and and strange, which leads into this uh, this scene, which <laughs> I put on, on Twitter. Because someone was saying this is the most ridiculous minute of a movie I've ever seen, where they they leave the coffee shop after this this uh, you know uh, they're both sort of yearning for each other and they but they each stop and look back like three times. Yeah, they're they're smitten. They're smitten. Right, but over over the shoulder, and each one keeps missing when the other one's looking back, and it's drawn out, and there's music. Brad Pitt wanders into the middle of the street and and looks back again, and then, and then uh, doesn't notice that he's. In the middle of clearly one of the avenues in new york it's like a multi-lane busy street yeah and it actually says don't walk in the shot but he's just <laughs> yeah. he just keeps on going he's already crossed on red he's standing like in the median of the street uh and then gets absolutely wiped out by a van and then, and then like <laughs> like like a quarterback that's not very mobile who's decided to to scramble to the end zone and dives across the goal line <laughs> gets hit by a linebacker and then as he's already rotating one way gets hit by the safety like it <laughs> falls back and cartwheels the other way like Bradley gets hit by a cab and goes flying and it's just this i mean it's it is a 
is as good of a piece of physical comedy as you'll see and has like no business being it's, in this film. That's the thing, man. Uh, which, which makes it truly incredible. And anyway, that's how he dies, and then death claims the body, essentially. Um, kind of that jumps right into uh, something which I, I, I'm curious to know uh, what you saw, but we, we always talk about what is the most glaring plot hole or continuity error <laughs> in, in the film. Uh, one, when he shows up at Bill Parrish's house later as death, he's wearing the same suit, which is not at all bloodied or destroyed. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and like his body is clearly fully intact, which I understand death has powers beyond whatever we can comprehend, but that still seems a little much. Like he could have died of anything, and, and like the body would have been intact, but not getting absolutely, you know, just double teamed in traffic. <laughs> um, but yeah. anyway, so and then the other thing is, and they open with death's voice. Uh, that Bill Parrish's hearing sort of as he goes about his day. And it that voice is like a sort of a deep British-accented voice, kind of like Anthony Hopkins' voice. Um, and even after, like, Death shows up at his mansion to, like, introduce himself, it's still that voice until we see Brad Pitt. And then suddenly it's Brad Pitt's voice, like, like Death is Brad Pitt. And, like, I understand once you've made the decision to go with another voice, why, like, maybe that's the point where it has to switch, but the fact that it switched at all feels weird. Yeah, like, it's a little strange. Yeah, it felt like they kind of trapped themselves in, like, a narrative decision that, that didn't really make any sense. Uh, was, was there anything that, that you that you noticed in terms of, like, plot holes or continuity errors? I mean, a lot. Um, well, not a lot, necessarily, but very specific things, and I realized that this is a movie that's earnestly asking the audience to suspend its cynicism because it is a drama wrapped around a romance with some touches of like comedy that probably shouldn't be there but what where did joe's body go like was was the emt crew that was scraping him off the pavement like aware of the fact that the body just disappeared did where did the body go? Is that the actual body? I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, curiosity, I guess, about the physicality of of the entire situation. Are we just supposed to assume that when there's a traffic death in like the late '90s in New York, that person essentially falls off the face of the earth? And the <laughs> like, there... Yeah, because there's an establishment with Brad Pitt's character that he has a younger sister that he's trying to help. So, what is that younger sister doing? Is she preparing a funeral? Right. If for a three-hour movie, it, it, that whole side of it is awfully underexplained. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. Um, but the other thing is, like, and I'm actually mentioning this because I watched the trailer for the 1934 film that this is loosely based off of, Death Takes a Holiday. And the trailer starts with these hilarious newspaper segments where they show like a, a naval ship blowing up and then there's a spinning newspaper like slamming into the camera going... 
uh, Navy ship explodes off coast of U.S. All 500 sailors miraculously alive. And then it cuts to a car crash, and it's like a uh, race car driver in har- uh harrowing accident walks away unscathed. And then it shoots to another thing of like a building burning down. It's like children's orphanage burns to ground. All kids safe. So like the ori- <laughs> the original film plays up that angle at least in the in the trailers for it, and it's not mentioned at all here. Because well, I, I was gonna say the the only time we really see it is is in the hospital scene. I guess we can get into that right now. But sure. like like the idea this the woman gets admitted to the hospital who's like clearly about to die, and she's like, "Oh, you're here for me," and he's like, "No, I'm, I'm busy." <laughs> <laughs> like so she's like not gonna die. Like that's I mean that's that is the only place where we really see that play out. But I, I'll let you get a little deeper into into the rest of the hospital scene. Yeah, this is also gonna be. I'll I'll, I'll come back to this for the why this can't directly be remade today because this is the most cringeworthy scene uh possibly in certainly in the last 20 years of cinema that i've watched but uh, a caribbean woman she is credited as a jamaican woman on imtv an older an older jamaican woman is wheeled into the hospital where death slash brad pitt is trying to hit on Bill Parrish's daughter, again, because that's where she works, wheeled in by her own daughter. And she immediately recognizes, as you said, Pitt as something otherworldly or supernatural. And she initially calls him uh, Obeya or Obia, something, something demonic or demon. Evil, not good. And yeah, that's when Brad Pitt it tries to sort of say, like, I'm not, I'm not a demon. I'm not evil. I just sort of am. I am death. And that would be okay. It would be a fine moment. Except he brings up this horrible, terrifying, fake Caribbean accent. Well, be evil, I'm not evil, oh man. And what you is then? I from that next place. You waiting here to take us? Like you're the bus driver today? No, man, I on holiday. It's just the most off-putting thing. Like the, it's not even just an accent. He's like, he's like speaking Creole, or I, I don't even know what. To I call don't know. Like, again, it, they're credited. It's Jamaican woman and Jamaican woman's daughter. So it, uh, yeah, it, but it's it sounds like the worst kind of. I don't want to say, you know, uh, minstrel kind of thing where white guys would put on blackface and pretend to be black on stage but it is very very offensive because uh, yeah, he just switches into this weird ah, it's gonna be all right mama or something like that it's it's really strange. right but, i mean it, yeah it, it's even like beyond there's some sort of like something other than english that, that that's that's like being spoken and, and it the only other clue that we get is uh when Claire Filani's character says, like, oh, have you spent much time in the island? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's the only other sort of contextual clue. But, yeah, I mean, it just, like, we were talking about this before we started, but I, I understand <laughs> I understand what they were going for in terms of showing death as being, like, clearly someone who transcends cultures and, like, will be able to communicate with any human being. It just feels like they could have gone any number of other directions with that. Yeah. Like it could have been somebody speaking 
I don't know, any uh, other language. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it, did, it just did not have to be this. Uh, and it, and watching Brad Pitt like play it out in in this role is it's yeah, it's hard to watch. It's it's incredibly embarrassing. I mean, and and offensive. But it, what would have probably fixed that scene would have been to have her speak in. Yeah, a language, a non-English language, and then you showed that Death like totally understands what she's saying, and then you let it play out where he's not doing like a a, a mockery of of her speaking. Yeah. So like, I mean, you could have it physically be the same scene. He, he at some point he puts his hands on her and removes or or reduces her pain in some capacity, and he does speak to her, but just like let him have the same voice i don't know whose call that was either because it was such a weird decision yeah and yeah i mean like, like you said one of those things that that probably wouldn't just wouldn't fly today do you want to do you want to just get into that since we're already we're already down that road of of you know uh uh these things that maybe didn't, didn't age so well and you know could, could could this movie get made uh today I, I so i was actually thinking about this right before we started and i think that this would be kind of the right time for a death takes a holiday ish movie or a meet joe black ish movie i mean we're we're all neck deep in the pandemic it's pretty miserable out there but i think the only way it works is if you lean into the comedy stuff make it a fish out of water situation where death is trying to figure out what it's like to be human i mean i certainly think that just after this last year, and I don't just mean pandemic-wise, but in terms of of any number of other tragedies and and, and deaths, you could you, you could have some dark humor fun with the idea that like suddenly nobody's dying anymore. Yeah, like, like playing yeah. up, you know. Uh, um, I think that would be welcome in some ways, just to to think of of the larger world outside of just the, the sort of Bill Parrish world and the very, you know, focused on, on one character that, that maybe death taking a break wouldn't be such a bad thing for everybody. Yeah. Else. Yeah. I think it really um, would work, but you'd have to totally, this, this does not work, <laughs> but, but I think the idea, the original idea could certainly. Yeah. And I, I feel like maybe, you know, it might be something that's more likely to end up on a streaming service. Like I, I don't mm-hmm. know that, that too many Hollywood studios in terms of, of uh, theatrical release movies are, are, are going to give you three hours to, to, <laughs> to Oof, tell of a no, no, no. sort of slowly spun uh, story that, I mean, there are maybe what seven characters that have a name in the story. <laughs> uh, let's like, see. Like, re- like really, really like, like it's not much more than that. I mean, it's, it, yeah, um, it is just the principal cast. It's, it's six, six people. Yeah. I mean, it's right. It's, it's, it's father, daughter, uh, uh, her sister, her husband, uh, and death. death, and and the creepy, evil, corporate guy. Oh, the oh god, yeah, he's so good at playing a dick in this. I will admit that. Uh, yeah, Jake. Oh, Jake Weber, <laughs> that's his name. Right, but I mean, that's about it, right? I mean, it's about a half dozen characters that yeah. that, that are, which. When you think about like how overstuffed so many movies are these days, I mean, it's really, really pared down in a way that that I, you don't see much, except maybe you know, except maybe a streaming service takes a chance on on something like that, where a, a major studio wouldn't. Yeah, I think if you if you re 
retool this using the same kind of idea and make it a yeah make it a dark comedy that's tightened to 90 100 minutes i think you get a winner uh speaking of by the way if you are looking to watch uh meet joe black if you haven't seen it and you want to watch it and catch up with us uh it is currently free on amazon prime uh with ads uh and i warn you that if you do decide to watch it that way uh that the film itself is so quiet and the ads are so loud <laughs> that if you turn it, the volume up to try to accommodate uh it is going to be very jarring when the commercial breaks hit so just beware of that uh because they will be like literally twice as loud as the film itself uh the film has a lot of quiet moments and it's worth turning up uh which then when the music comes in it swells and it you know it very much sets the scene um if you have a chance to not watch it with ads, I recommend that because it was uh, uh, on the rewatch. Uh, it was it was very very <laughs> distracting. It's yeah, it's an extraordinarily quiet film, but I think that is on purpose. Yeah, and honestly, I mean that's one of the things that I that I like about it. I, I'm I mean I'm a huge like top five uh, uh, films for me of all time is, is, you know, the link later before sunrise before sunset trilogy. Like, mm. like I, I love movies that, that really slow down. That don't have a lot of cuts that, that allow space for you know things to happen in real time and, and, and allow for, for the sort of quietness of real life and, and don't try to overstuff every, every, every bit. Um, and sort of force you know emotions out of things and i i so i i appreciate that side of it um and i think that it works you know for for what it's trying to do within, within the film yeah i don't i don't typically mind a film that really takes its time and especially nowadays where every piece of garbage that marvel is shoving out the door is about three hours long and it's just this endless nightmare roller coaster ride of loud explosions and stuff i definitely appreciate what they were going for but i can't say necessarily that it works this is like a beautiful background film it's like it's it's gorgeous i actually really did like the soundtrack when i rewatched it it's just that the script the screenplay is there's something wrong there's something missing it's not it didn't really engage me well let's get into the soundtrack real quick since you mentioned it mm -hmm. um so it's yeah it, it's this you know, we see this. I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't say that we see it less these days. I actually think that that it's been a bit of a comeback, and especially with you know, Christopher Nolan like leaning on Hans Zimmer, and there mm -hmm. are some directors that, that really like you know hiring a, a composer you know, for for an entire film. Essentially, and we, we sort of have that here with this sweeping score by Thomas Newman, which I think for me might be the most enduring part of the entire movie because. If I hear that that swelling, like I know that that's the Meet Joe Black music, like like it's 
watching it again it's one of the things that immediately comes back to me um and i think is it is definitely sort of like almost over the top and very it's 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 very dramatic and it's very uh sort of indicative of like heartbreak and and sort of forlorn love like like i mean it, it evokes that i i think in a really like effective way like it, like I, th- I just think that it's really well matched to the film and and it's yes. <clears throat> it, 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 like i said and it's something that has stuck with me over the years to where it's instantly recognizable again as soon as i hear that score again yeah i could see some other director or producer or, or creative team grabbing Blue Oyster Cults don't fear the Reaper, you know, for example, for this kind of thing, which would just be a wedge death related song. Yes, which which would absolutely trash the. the You can't always get what you want. (laughs) You can't always get what you want. Yeah. And then Blue Oyster Cult. So Stones and Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah, that would be a huge mistake. But I did appreciate the orchestral version of What a Wonderful World at the end during the birthday. I mean, there was stuff that I definitely appreciate it this is a fine a very fine soundtrack it's it works very well there's really very there's not a lot of stuff that that has any any words in it if at all i i don't even know if, if, if there's a single song throughout the film where there's lyrics i don't think there is like, it, like <clears throat> it's very intentionally instrumental which which allows for that to exist in the background and, and not get in the way of what's happening um which i you know I think I think that works in in a lot of movies. I mean, I mentioned the the Nolan movies. You know, have this this very specific sort of orchestral soundtrack. Um, you know, like the Batman movies. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And, and even even you know into something like Fight Club that where they they hired a you know Dust Brothers. A D- yeah, right. The, the, it's like a, like an electronic DJ sound, but it's consistent throughout the whole film, and it sets a tone throughout the whole film. And then when pixies come crashing through in the final scene like you feel it and you remember it It, it's it's a really it's a really good effective way for a lot of filmmakers really kind of regardless of genre to to do that to create continuity um and i I think it's one of the most effective parts of this film i i would absolutely agree yeah soundtrack is very good um i i just before we get into any other bits one of the things that that i think is really funny there's a lot of like funny lines just sort of like i feel like like whoever wrote the screenplay like kind of had fun with with a lot of the like one-off lines uh anything from from you know bill Parrish saying you're not death you're just a kid in a suit and and then don't 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 blow smoke up my ass and you'll ruin my autopsy yeah 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 Right, but but in that in that scene, death replies, "The suit came with the body," <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, like even even there was a uh, you know Quince who's played by Jeffrey Tambor uh, is a really good sort of side character. Uh, you know they they they're portraying him to be this really sort of simpleton. Uh, he talks about like, oh, I hope there's some sports guy at this party, so I have somebody to talk to. I hope there's some jock there. <laughs> and, and he's he says something which reminded me of of all movies to possibly remind me of it. Reminded me of Knocked Up. Uh, <laughs> there's the scene in Knocked Up where Paul Rudd's character is like sneaking off, 
and his wife thinks that he's having an affair and it turns out that he's just going to his fantasy baseball draft. <laughs> I for, totally she, forgot about that. She breaks in on him and she's like, what are you doing? You know, he's like, I, yeah, it's fantasy baseball. And he goes, I got Matt Suey, which is like one of <laughs> my favorite lines. From the yeah. like, like, like Quince literally says, I'm king of my rotisserie league as like, like, like a, like a brag right. uh, in, in this movie, which would just instantly reminded me of that. Um, so just looking it up really I, quickly. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, there appear to be four writing credits for the current, uh, for the Micho Black that we saw. There are four previous uh, credits where it says play slash inspiration, play slash inspiration, and then two additional ones for earlier screenplay. So this appears to be a, I don't, uh, not by committee screenplay, but there were a lot of hands in this. I, and I, I could see how that plays into it being in the, whatever is disjointed about it. Like the, the disjointedness from the coffee scene and everything else, oh, you know what I mean? From like yeah. the meet cute forward, like those, that feels like a different movie. Um, I, I could see how that, how that might've played into it. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask you since we're, we're both, newsmen uh, <laughs> about the idea there's a there's a line and of course bill parish is a media mogul who doesn't want to sell his uh his company to a larger media entity because he wants to be able to have editorial control and not give that up um and he says quote and i would like your opinion on this quote Reporting the news is a privilege and a responsibility, and it is not exploitable. How do you feel about that statement in uh, 2021? I can definitely appreciate the thought behind it, and I wish it was true. Yeah. I, 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 did, I did like the fact that uh, Bill Parrish appears to be sort of a... I don't, I don't know if I, I, I certainly wouldn't say left wing, but appears to be like an anti-Murdoch encountering a Murdoch. So I don't know if that's like Ted Turner versus Murdoch. But... Yeah, right. Like, like I wouldn't consider Ted Turner a, a bleeding heart liberal, uh, <laughs> but right. But, but at least there's some some ideas of uh, integrity in, in terms of uh, presentation of, of the news there. Yeah, I liked, I liked the heart behind that scene. I liked the idea behind that scene. And certainly that would be the ideal, but it's absolutely not true these days. Yeah, well, I was going to say, maybe that leads us into the most indicative uh, of the time or era references. Because <laughs> <laughs> that one kind of stands out. Uh, any, any, of, any other uh, really sort of dated references stand out to you? No, and I think that, well, obviously the lack of smartphones. Yeah, but that's that's. I think that's probably going to be a thing for every every movie we watch. Uh, at this well, point. there's there's one thing very specifically with that, which is when uh, they're at the parish's office and he wants to get rid of him for a while, and so he's like, "Please leave me alone. Like I don't care. Just just go. Go take a walk." And he he, he yells out at his secretary, <laughs> "Get Mister Black a map of the city." <laughs> oh yeah, man! I totally forgot about that. Yeah. That one stood out. But I think I think otherwise they were very smart to not include. They probably recognized that there would be things that would be dated, 
and they kept it very very bare bones i don't even remember i don't think it, there's even a television set in this film uh, not, not that I can recall. And, and, and one of the things I, that I remember talking about when we when we first watched this is that it feels remarkably contemporary for a film that's more than 20 years old. Yes, I would agree like, with that. Like it's it is shot in a way that is like it. There's there are plenty of films from like the early 2000s that look old. Mm-hmm. They just look old. Yeah. And this is from the late 90s. And it doesn't. I mean, it does not. No, look it old. doesn't. Like, like there's there are some slight hints in terms of the way people dress and stuff like that. But it's generally like if you told somebody that this movie was 10 years old, I don't think they'd blink. Um, no, I, I, so I was actually trying to look the only, oh, you know what? There's the one thing that did sort of stand out to me. And again, this is just a very, very minor thing. Brad Pitt's original suit is not tailored the way I would expect. Right. It's very boxy. It's yeah. very boxy. But other than that, again, no, they don't show phones. Uh, they're smart enough to not show any cars like up close. There are no vehicles except for the obvious and hilarious uh, crash scene, but it happens so fast that you don't really notice the make and model or whatever of the cars. And then no TVs. There's really no technology shown at all. Yeah. The only phone we really see is right at the very, very end uh, when uh, Bill Parrish sets up uh, the, his, Drew, his Drew the prick crossed him. Right. Yeah. And, and is using a speaker phone on his office phone. But I mean, we still use them. We still that, have that, those, yeah. It's a contemporary enough office phone. Yeah. Um, they, there was one other thing in this, this might be a, a little niche, but <laughs> since we're living in, in this moment that I thought was really funny, um, right in the very beginning when they're setting the scene and they're, they're getting set up for the party and everything. And I don't even remember who says it, but somebody's, somebody says, it's like, I think it might be a maid or, or someone says to, to bill parish uh the, the president might come <laughs> yeah and he says the president's got better things to do than to come to my birthday and she replies like what <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> which in 1998 sure <laughs> yeah, <why not? laughs> you know yeah. uh feels a little quaint these days but but uh, I, I just want to reiterate like the stuff that we're talking about is the is the more lighthearted moments of the film that's the stuff yeah. that i'm that i remembered the most was sort of the the fun stuff and and the comedy and we should actually probably get into speaking of comedy brad pitt's <laughs> acting in this movie um sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you t- just pick up there and we, we can go from there <laughs> So, Brad Pitt is fine. There's nothing wrong with him in this movie necessarily, but when you're acting against Anthony Hopkins, Brad Pitt does not look good. He, he, again, it's okay, but it's really yeah, like a puppy I, I, challenging. The... I'll give him. I'll give him. I'll give him credit for a couple of things. One thing is, he does a fairly good job over the course of the film, going from being essentially a child right like death first experiencing life like like taking everything in wide-eyed like literally not blinking and you know tasting peanut butter for the first time and experiencing social interactions for the first time to like slowly understanding and feeling his way through the world like like you see him progress in a tangible way yes um and the other thing where like i think that you can see that he is actually a, a really good actor is 
both in the beginning and the end when he is the normal dude, the actual dude, like he is jarringly a different person than he is as death. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed that too. He's back <clears> on <throat> the bridge and he's this like doofy lawyer guy again. Like, like in a way that, that you're like, it's it's almost unsettling. We're like, oh right, like, like he is this other person, you know? Yeah, uh, and, and a lot of that comes from the mannerisms. When he's yeah. when he's human, let's just call him Human Joe versus Death Joe. When he's Human Joe, he does, and you notice this a lot at the beginning. He holds the back of his head or like is fiddling with his hair, and he's sort of playing with his lips because he's thinking or unsure or something. And then yes, it's suddenly it's joe deaf and robotic and weird but also kind of an idiot um because i frankly i have a really hard time believing and i know this movie requires you to set your cynicism aside and just sort of go with the flow but it's impossible for me to believe that death itself has never spent any time on earth or observed human beings before (laughs) i just have a really hard time with that and then yeah, the, sw- the switcheroo back, where he's he's back to being scratching my head, thinking about I I ain't got nothing. But the peanut butter scene <laughs> kills me every time. And then the sex scene where death has its first orgasm. He looks like he's looking for his car keys. He just looks confused, <laughs> and <laughs> and I. Brad Pitt's credit I don't know how I would handle that scene either I have no idea what expression you would make yeah it's right Uh, it's hard it's hard to know what the right way to play that is (laughs) Uh, it's their whole I mean I feel bad for for like her character because like their whole relationship is is so strange and it's it's predicated on her having met him in life right and like knowing that something's different but like it's clearly like if that hadn't happened there they wouldn't this wouldn't have happened like they would not be together in the way that they are like Mm -hmm. they hadn't had that prelude of him when he was still alive you know what i mean like it had that spark and, and everything and now he's like this slightly off weird Dude, where she's kind of like overlooking a lot of the weird behavior, you know? <laughs> she is. Like she, she is. would not do if they if she hadn't met him as like an alive person. Yeah, she'd and, just be like, No, please, thank you. Stay away from me. No thanks. Yeah, you're you're right. This is all very strange. And and so I don't know. It's yeah. It's we're we're very much encouraged to sort of ignore things from her point of view. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah like what might be awfully fucking weird from her point of view so i uh, it's just yeah that that part i think the more than now that i've gone back and seen it a couple times as an adult has bothered me a a little more where i'm like "Eh, yeah really sorry she's still falling for for him in this it's it's very it's very strange and reem actually pointed something out that i hadn't even considered because i am not necessarily the most well-read person in the world but reem pointed out when he when death sorry when death tells bill like oh i'm just gonna take your daughter because i you know i want to that's hades and persephone apparently yeah which i didn't even that didn't dawn on me until my wife literally an hour ago was like hey so that plot point that's totally a old thing 
Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I hadn't thought about it until until now either. I mean, I remember reading that stuff when I was uh, in school. But it's, um, I, I, and actually, I, I felt I feel like you know, regardless of the historical uh, connotations, um, it, that whole that part didn't bother me in terms of the way that that played out in terms of of. You know him uh, of of Bill Parrish basically saying that's not love. Like love is yeah is yeah is really understanding and knowing each other for who you are and still accepting each other. And that goes back to what uh, we saw uh, Quince saying. You know, like did, did, she knows the worst thing about me and she still loves me. And like 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 that I think was tied together pretty well but as as a, a real moral of the film. Yeah, and I mean when they're when um what's the daughter's name? Is it Allison? I can't remember. Uh, Marsha Gay Harden is Allison. Oh, so the other daughter. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize to our <laughs> listeners. I cannot remember her name. But when she's on the helicopter with Parrish, that's the first thing he asks her. Do you love me? Like, the film really wants to reinforce the idea that love is... <laughs> what did you say earlier? Love is a car crash. <laughs> 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 there you go. Yeah, right. I mean, it's and and you know, and, and they get into that too of why Death chose Bill Parrish because of of his sort of his very dramatic you know, oratory around around everything, and we get sort of a taste of that of of what he what he's saying to uh, to Susan Parrish, Claire Lonnie's character, um, just sort of about you know like fireworks and, and and all that which then of course gets paid off in the fireworks in the closing scene like yeah. like they, I, they they do a pretty good job with that i mean it's it's you know yeah it's a little corny but like it is cohesive it is tied together there's there's tangible payoff to the setup that's been put in place yeah it's weird that it sounds like we it does sound like we would wholly endorse this movie it's just, there's something that just doesn't work and i don't know if it's the running time but at the same time like you need some of that to make certain scenes work i don't know i mean to me it, it, like i said I, we were getting at a little bit the, the love story is a, there's there are things that are not quite right about it and i think that it it's you know <laughs> it's not even male gaze it's death gaze i guess <laughs> <laughs> we're we're obviously encouraged to see things from the titular character's point of view uh within the film to to some extent but it, but that the whole sort of relationship kind of feels like it's it's from his point of view like we her her side of it doesn't really make sense when you we, the more you think about it the less sense it makes um yeah that's a bit problematic and, and that, that kind of leads me to another one of our things that we talk about is like what what has happened to each of these characters in the <laughs> world like in the, in the intervening years because like it's clearly left that like oh well he sent living joe black back like living brad pitt's character who we don't even know his real name like back to life everything's gonna be fine because like they're in love but that's not really what's happened like if we're yeah, i mean this is again why it it, it it's a little unsettling because like that's not the person it is the person who she was initially attracted to but it's not the person who she's forged this whole relationship with like it's just the body of that person right uh i mean he's a corpse 
yeah, right. Like now he's not cool. Uh, how the hell does he fit back into like, he's not the IRS agent that death passed himself off to be like, who like restored Bill Parrish's reputation and spot in the company. Like he can't like be that. Cause that's not who he is. Like, who is he going to be like, it, you know, when we get past the credits of this film and like in, in like this world, like clearly they're meant to be together within the context of the story, but like, who the hell is this guy? How does he fit back into the rest of the world? Like, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I, I have no damn idea, dude. Yeah. Like it's, it feels like that was like a loose end that they're like, Oh, let's give, let's give this relationship a happy ending instead of being like, Oh, well they fell in love, but like he was death. So they couldn't be together. Like, let's just bring the dude back, <laughs> you know, without like really thinking about the It's so funny. I'd forgotten that that was the ending. I started writing in my notes about halfway through. I was like, I know death walks away with, with Bill Parrish over the bridge, and, you know, and the fireworks at the end and the party. So I'm thinking, oh, well, how, you know, how in the world could Susan Parrish ever love again? Like after having like gone through this, like this would be awfully hard. And they're like, oh, right. We'll just send human Brad Pitt back. And it's like, I don't know that that is the, the answer. Well, she, she <laughs> also, she also has to be aware in the back of her head. Like there's going to be some therapy because she knows she had sex with death. Right. Yeah. Right. She knows, she knows that. And she knows that this isn't the person she fell in love with. Like, yeah, there's, I mean, I, to me, that's, that's the, the, again, at the core of, of the stuff that doesn't really work. Because like, that's the love story of the movie <laughs> and the love story doesn't really work. No. And also, can you imagine the awkwardness of a conversation? Like, I don't know, a month later where, <laughs> where she's like, Hey, remember that time we had sex while my dad was napping in his apartment in New York city? <laughs> And he's just right. like, oh, right. sorry, we did what? You know the first time we had sex by that pool on the 95th floor of some building <laughs> overlooking Manhattan? Like, what yeah. kind of weird shit is I going to unlock in, in both of their brains? I mean, it's just, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing that actually working. <laughs> like the, the, the other thing I have a huge question with, and I brought this up to Reem after the movie, did, did Bill Parrish's body disappear is he just slumped over on the other side of that bridge like will some party goer at his own at, his, at bill parish's birthday party just stumble upon that body drunkenly at one in the morning yeah i think it, that has to be it right I, like, like <laughs> the body's not gone like that would be like an international be. incident right yeah, like, yeah. like like he's he's just dead somewhere yeah. <laughs> right Intern- <laughs> yeah man important enough to potentially have the president visit his birthday party just falls over dead on 65th birthday as fireworks explode found right. by found, as, found as, by as cook as at one in the morning having a hostile takeover of his company <laughs> yeah oh that's the other thing and i actually forgot about this when you were mentioning the um plot holes like who's now the chairman because that was the whole right. goal right i and i had thought i again i was trying to remember how they tied up some of these loose ends i was like did he make quince the chairman before he kicked <sighs> it because he should have yeah right he should have, but he didn't. Or, or one of his daughters. <laughs> it would have been a real easy little fix for him, you know? Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, literally just like one line where he's still, when he's still on, say, like, Quince, you're in charge now. Or right. something. But yeah, okay. it's... 
Yeah, and again, multiple screenwriters, uh, sometimes threads don't always get closed, uh, tied off the way that they should. Um, it is, so, so, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's gorgeous, it's well acted, the soundtrack is amazing, it just doesn't quite work. Yeah, there are problems for sure. Let me ask you. We we got a couple more bits. What, uh, which which character? Now it's now that you can kind of answer this since you saw it now about a year apart. Um, anybody anybody strike you differently this time in, in a positive or, or a negative way that, that improved or sank the most? <laughs> well, Anthony Hopkins is a legend. Right? You yeah, can't. You just cannot beat him, and his. I appreciate more of those Shakespearean uh, riffs or diatribes that he has. Like the first one in the beginning that is apparently what convinces death to take an interest in him and to spare him and to strike up the deal. And especially his just absolutely furious reaction to this cosmic entity sleeping with his daughter. When death approaches Anthony Hopkins and says like, yeah, we're, we, did, we, we slept together. And Hopkins says something like, you, you didn't even ask my permission. And Death said, I didn't need to. And then Hopkins just screams at him. I was like, ooh. Okay. Yeah, he says, he says you, you damn well should you have. damn well should have, yeah. Um, yeah, Hopkins, again, I, I, just so, so good. I think I appreciate the, the Pitt performance a little bit more now because it's not, didn't strike me quite as goofy this time, although there's certainly some things that will never not be silly, like the... I lost my car keys orgasm um, <laughs> and the peanut butter stuff, of course. Right. But, you know, I think Pitt, Pitt's performance went up a little bit for me. Hopkins is still absolute A++ top tier. Um, yeah, I, I guess I would say that Pitt's performance grew a little bit on me. I, I actually, I, I remember always hating, but but I gained an appreciation for for Drew for Jake Weber oh. as, as the <laughs> dickish, overly ambitious trader on the Irish Board of Directors, because uh, he's the only one who really is pointing out the absurdity of everything throughout it. You know, he's yes. like, "Who is this motherfucker?" Like, I don't understand. <laughs> what, why are you here? Why? Like, can I get you some tea? Like, I mean, like he's he's so. He's such a dick, but he's but he's right. Like he's he like, is right. Like, yeah, he is right. Yeah, and like like you need that character, and like it, it it works that he is such a like you know he's so like in everybody's face about it because um, you like it it lends a sense of sort of practicality and realism to the whole affair, you know, which is very sort of mystical. Um, so yeah, I, I I appreciated the even if he is like a tim roth knockoff like like he, i he actually was... thought it was tim roth at first <laughs> yeah he looks a lot like tim roth um I, I i can't even remember if if when we talked about this the first time if i mentioned this or not but i felt like marcia gay harden was just kind of wasted like yeah she's just just thinly drawn like like her entire character arc is like i'm the not favorite daughter vying for my father's love and attention and like I finally got it because he cared about the party that I threw. And like 
for as much space as they had in that film to to you know flesh out the six characters that were there she (laughs) felt the she felt the least dynamic and and she's a great actress and so it just like felt like they could have done more with her but i totally agree with that yeah yeah that's that's all i had on that I, i i otherwise i mean i think I think that, that because there is the room like really every every other character and, and the acting is really good like generally like there there are good actors throughout um uh my uh my self-indulgent uh gaucho watch i, I couldn't because of the limited cast because of the, <laughs> the at least spare presentation find anything but i will be watching uh the gauchos as they take on uc irvine tonight for a shot of <laughs> that's good enough for me. um well uh any, anything else that we that we didn't get through? Uh, anything else we didn't touch on um, as we revisited Meet Joe Black? Uh, no, honestly, it's it's a it's a solid movie. It just needs to be it needs to be retooled. It needs to be a little bit tighter. Uh, unfortunately, like you need you need the boardroom stuff because that really informs the audience of how stoic and honest and forward-thinking uh anthony hopkins character is so just same same idea new script i don't know yeah i mean in, in a lot of ways and we, we joked about sort of the state of media but you could you could be make you'd be fighting the same fight today i mean like you would be in a different position you might not be the the juggernaut media but you know hanging on to to whatever threads of of uh uh sort of old old media empire um you know it might look a little different but i think i think a lot of the same sort of uh moral uh arguments could could still be very much made today yeah i completely uh, agree and as the person who brought this film to the podcast uh i'm the one in charge of answering do i still like it and i do uh i still like <laughs> it for a lot of the same reasons that i liked it the first time around i remember getting to the end and kind of being like wow cool <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> and i still kind of feel the same way we're like there there are things that i really appreciated about it there are things that uh i definitely would would endorse if if you're if you like you know movies that, that take that take that space and, and you know really give room for for everything to you know exist as is and, and it is a beautiful movie uh, and it is a, a weird movie, <laughs> and a movie that has uh, st- stretches your your uh, plausible bounds. But it, but but yeah, I mean, I, I if I'm in the right mood, uh, I I would still watch it. It's you have to, it's a commitment. <laughs> it's definitely a commitment. It's kind of weird because usually I either love or hate a movie, and this is like a like a seven, six or seven out of ten because I really do like some of the performances I, I really do like some of the scenes but again i think if this had been a straight fish out of water 90 100 minute movie it would be like in my top 10 because i do i really do like the idea as strange as it is i yeah i mean it's a great premise like yeah. you know like you can see the log line right like <laughs> death Death takes two weeks off to go. Like, <laughs> it's great. Like it's, it's yeah. a good idea. Right? It's, no, it's no, a great idea. Sure. 
Um, so uh, yeah, I, I think I like this movie. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at like this movie and use the hashtag ITILTM. That's ITILTM to join in the conversation and tell us what movie we should be watching next. Who knows? You might even get to be our next guest. I think I like this movie is created by Noah Frank and hosted by Noah Frank and Will Vitka. Editing by Will Vitka. Copyright 2021.